This is Faith Revisited. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ben. I'm the senior pastor at Historic Trinity Church in downtown Savannah. I'm passionate about following Jesus, loving my family, enjoying all sports involving the ball, and a constant pursuit to find the perfect bottle of bourbon. And I'm Molly, a Methodist from the West Coast, but after moving to Savannah a few years ago, I found a home in Trinity and a friend of Ben's. My greatest joy in life is simply sitting on the front porch with my husband, my crazy dog, and a great bottle of red wine. On Faith Revisited, we'll talk about our own church as we're constantly trying to adapt to an ever-changing world as a downtown historic church. We'll talk about United Methodist Matters as our denomination faces an exciting and uncertain future. We'll explore church leadership in the 21st century. And we'll talk to different faith leaders about their perspectives of religion today, how we can be more authentic, stop alienating people, and how faith is more important than ever to connect us to God and each other. Hey, maybe we'll touch on a topic that speaks to exactly where you are in your faith. We won't know until we try, right? Let's do it. Welcome to the Faith Revisited podcast today. We're so happy to have you. We have a little different format in this episode. We did our very first interview. And who was it? Bishop Ken Carter from the Florida Annual Conference. He's also the president of the Council of Bishops in the United Methodist Church. Uh, so he's he's a big deal, big leader in the United Methodist Church. And he was gracious enough uh, to sit down and spend about 20, 22 minutes with us today. Yeah, he talked about leadership. He gave some advice on um you know, new pastors, what they can be looking for. And he also hit on what was very interesting, different um, expressions of church, um, different things that are going on in the church that you may not have heard about yet. So um, he had some really interesting topics. And 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 let's be honest, we also fit in some baseball questions. There was plenty of baseball. We talk, need yes. we needed some a ba- little bit of baseball talk in from the front them. and the end. Yes. yes. So it was that was very good. But uh, sit back, enjoy uh, this time about twenty minutes or so. Our very first interview with Bishop Ken Carter. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Revisited podcast. Uh, this episode, we are very excited to have Bishop Ken Carter of the Florida Annual Conference, who's graciously agreed to sit down and spend some time with us uh, together. So welcome, Bishop Carter. Uh, thank you, Ben. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to begin, just in case there's some listeners who are not as familiar uh, with your story, uh, give us a quick synopsis. Who is Bishop Ken Carter? Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm a United Methodist minister. Uh, I was born in Columbus, Georgia, as you were, and then uh, uh, went to college there, uh, grew up in the church there, and then uh, went to Duke Divinity School, met a woman from North Carolina, spent uh, my entire ministry until this uh, calling uh, in churches in western North Carolina, mostly Winston-Salem, Greensboro, and Charlotte. Uh, And then I was in the mountains briefly as a superintendent, uh, and then 
the church elected me to serve as a bishop, and I was assigned to Florida. I've been there the last seven years. Uh, it's an area that goes from Jacksonville and Tallahassee to the Keys. And for these two years, I'm also the president of our, our Council of Bishops, which is our global body of bishops. Wonderful. Now, we're going to get into some uh, some hard-hitting uh, church questions, but I have what could be a more important question first. You are a big baseball fan. Right, exactly. And yeah, you yeah. are you you're uh, uh, the the bishop of Florida is in the Lakeland area, which is right. the heart of spring training baseball in Florida. Yeah, yeah. Tell us who you saw this spring in spring training. Uh, let's see. Well, every year I try to see a new park uh, that I haven't seen before. So this year I did go with a group of uh, friends to Clearwater to see the. Phillies, so that was just after Bryce Harper had Ooh. become a part of their team. Uh, but I often try to see the Braves play in Orlando, and the Tigers really are only two or three miles from our office, so I actually saw the Tigers. Uh, but I've seen the Yankees and the Orioles and the Red Sox and the Cardinals, and you know the the, the Grapefruit League is just a great thing. It's the month of March, very low key, uh, very informal. Uh, I, the weather's wonderful. So it's just a great part of life in Florida. That's great. Um, one more baseball question, because you're also um, a wonderful uh, reader. What is the best baseball book that you've read lately? Hmm. That's a great question, too. You know, I read uh, when, when we had the uh, special session of the United Methodist Church General Conference in St. Louis, I read a book uh, entitled Three Nights uh, in August, uh, which is about Buzz Buzz Bissinger, who wrote the Friday Night Lights uh, uh, book, uh, and it's about the rivalry between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs, and it's really an entire book about three uh, three games, a three game series. So it goes into great detail about every batter, every pitch, and it's just a wonderful book. Oh, so that's that sounds the, good. That's the one I remember recently. That's yeah. really good stuff. I'll have to add that to my list. Yeah. So yeah. sh- shifting back into church questions, here's a question I've always wanted to ask a bishop to get yeah. your most candid answer possible. What yeah. is the very best part about being a bishop in the United Methodist Church right now? Yeah, the best part. I think, uh, you know, I think it is that you can notice people. You know, I quickly realized that once you're in this role, it's not really no longer about me. Uh, you simply sit at a table where you can notice people, you can see their gifts, or you can see a church that's in a community and is sort of poised to do something really wonderful. So I would say it's just noticing people and and trying to match uh, the right person uh, at the right place at the right time in their life. Uh, where And when that happens, people, it's almost like... Uh, a plant or a flower that just sort of comes comes to life and flourishes. Uh, and really, uh, you know, someone uh, asked me that question early on is, you know, you really can kind of be a part of a process that changes a person's life for the good. So that's the, the part that's exciting. It's, uh, it's just that appointment process. And, and also when the church does, really things on a large scale that really accomplish something wonderful. That's what's that's what's joyful about it. Yeah. That's fun. So I guess I should ask the flip side mm-hmm. of the question. What would you say is one of the biggest struggles in being an uh, Episcopal leader right now? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I would say uh, it is that the United Methodist Church's strength uh, is that we have adapted to the cultures we've been in, but that's also our uh, our flaw. And so the divisions that are in the culture, the struggles that are in the culture, uh, we mirror that. So our, our, our struggles with race and gender and LGBTQ acceptance uh, and, um, you know, uh, all of that uh, is a challenge. We are a, a democratic church, uh, and that can be messy. Uh, we're a global church, and that's very complicated. Uh, we also sometimes mirror the, the inequalities of wealth. You know, there's sort of the haves and the have-nots, uh, and and yet we try to be a connectional church, where when you try to, you know, it's easy to see all of that and just are going into our silos. But uh, when you're trying to be a connectional church, uh, where the strong and the weak are together, and we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses, that's the challenge. Uh, and I would say the, uh, of course, right now it's how to how to find a way forward uh, to include uh, the LGBTQ community in our fully in our life. And uh, to do that as a global church uh, is very complex. Yeah, absolutely. So not to get too far down the road, because we could spend all day just bemoaning yeah. our struggles, but yeah. I want to build off what you what you just shared, and but put it a positive spin on it. In light of those struggles, what do you feel are some of our most exciting opportunities that lie in front of us? You know, I think the opportunities are uh, that we can connect people uh, because we are the body of Christ across our differences. Uh, and if we could uh, if we could continue to work on that and do that, that's something, for example, that's sorely needed in the United Methodist Church. And I often say that, you know, Hillary Clinton is the United Methodist, Dick Cheney is the United Methodist, Jeff Sessions, uh, Jim Comey, all United Methodists. We, we mirror that broad divide. Yeah, George W. Uh, Bush is United Methodist. George, George W. Bush, Laura Bush. Very active United Methodist, and and so how uh, how we can be a church where the gospel uh, and our call to love each other and to seek justice, how the gospel uh, transcends all of that, uh, can be something that our our nation, just to speak of the church in the U.S., sorely needs. Uh, and uh, and then I think also we have, uh, and speaking more, you know, in the in the region that you and I serve in the southeast, we have been blessed with some institutions like Emory and Duke and Methodist Healthcare in Memphis. And you know, I could just go on. Uh, and, you know, we have some strong institutions that really uh, have done extraordinary work, and they all were birthed out of the Methodist movement. And so how can, you know, we live in an area in the Southeast, the church is fairly strong, uh, just speaking of our jurisdiction. Uh, and yet, and so we're in an area where the church attendance is stronger, but also the problems that people face are also greater, you know, illiteracy and domestic violence and, uh, you know, so, so uh, that's, that's the opportunity. And I would say, that, you know, we're blessed with just some extraordinary younger clergy who I think really are very motivated to try to work on all this. 
Yeah, that's really good. So there, there are two things. Um, I was telling a friend the other day that I was interviewing you, and 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 he reminded me that for Methodist insiders, there are two things that you in particular are really known well for. And so I want to ask you a question, but I want you to give us like a thirty second elevator speech on on each of these two things, just in case there's a listener who doesn't know. One is you are highly involved with the Fresh Expressions U.S. movement. And the second one is you are highly involved with the Commission on a Way Forward. So could you give us a very brief synopsis on those two things? Sure. Well, Fresh Expressions is simply how to create experiences of Christian community outside the walls of our churches. There are many people who just are not going to cross the threshold of our church doors. So it doesn't matter how great our music is or how attractive our facilities are. It's both and. We're going to have traditional churches, but Fresh Expressions is trying to create experiences of Christian community and pubs and coffee places and on sports fields and art scenes and tattoo parlors and so forth. So that's Fresh Expressions. And then uh, the Commission on a Way Forward was simply how how we can move beyond our stuckness and our impasse where we've singled out, uh, you know, homosexuality as as the one thing that we declare is incompatible with Christian teaching. And and this has this has not only done harm to people, but it really affected uh, the unity of our church and exacerbated our divisions within families, within the denomination. Uh, and so the Commission on the Way Forward was, was a process of bringing a group of people together uh, to work on this and try to find a way forward. And we're still in the midst of that. And there are some real signs of, uh, I would say, not not being naive or positive thinking, but there's some ongoing work in progress on this. So. so what's interesting to me about those two things, and just for the, the average listener who may have just heard those explanations for the first time, you literally have a foot deeply entrenched in what could be viewed as two very different worlds. Fresh expressions in one world being this innovative new way of doing church in new ways, and then on the other side, sorting through and dealing with the complexities of, 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 of an institution. How do you navigate that? How do the two of them feed off of each other? How do you live with your feet in two very different worlds? Well, uh, and that's a great question, Ben. And I think it is uh, that we all live in a both-and world. And so when I got back from St. Louis, we had done all this work on on the way forward, and the church had responded to it. And I sort of said to myself and others, I'm going to pivot back to the Fresh Expressions work, which is really, as you say, innovation, trying to create new forms of church. Uh, but I realized that this was just not going to be possible. I was going to, for a while, be for a time, be working with many others on both. Uh, and I would say they do share some things in common in that the status quo is just not uh, desirable that uh, there's a common sense about it that the church is in the midst of change. Uh, We need to create new models of church, new forms of church. So at the local level, new forms of church and new experiences of community at the, at the denominational global level, we need to understand unity in a new way. And so unity, we're simply, we're simply in the midst of that, uh, redefining unity. So you're right. They are, they have, they are somewhat different in terms of maybe their, 
their aspirations, but there's a lot they share in common. So to to kind of talk about your pivot back to Florida, just so that our audience can hear, give share with us some some of the stats, some of the the, the stories, some of the growth of Fresh Expressions in Florida. Because y'all are doing some amazing yeah. work down there. Well, yeah, well, thanks. And this is the work of many, many people. Uh, Florida is not, for the most part, not a traditional Bible Belt area within the southeast. You know, most of the people who live in Florida are not natives to Florida. They they come from other places in the world. And so our uh, challenges for the vitality of the church are greater. Uh, we, we don't have a kind of a church ethos that supports participation or attendance. Uh, and so this was a model, not the only model, but a model we began working on. Uh, and that was simply how to create alongside our traditional churches new forms of church. And so at annual conference, it was announced that we have 301 French expressions of church across the conference. And these are yoga chapels and kayaking church and tattoo parlor church. So we have a church in a registered sex offender village. Uh, we're starting a new church in a prison, the largest women's prison in the U.S. Uh, and so you invest in fresh expressions. You invest not so much in buildings, but really invest in people. We really have enough buildings. And, and, and also what I love about fresh expressions, it does not disparage the traditional church. The traditional church is needed, and it's called a mixed ecology of church, that we need the traditional and the non traditional and so that's the that's the fresh expressions movement and you know audrey warren and i wrote that book uh, fresh expressions a new kind of methodist church and she's in a church first miami that's that was totally uh taken down demolished and is building a 50-story building uh it's across from where the miami heat play and uh 10 of the stories are going to be the are going to be the church's space a lot of non-traditional things in that space but the others are going to be places where young adults live and uh and so those kind of models uh this is experimentation this is innovation and and it's really exciting and uh we part of it you have to kind of have a culture where people are not fun are not punished when they uh experiment and uh it doesn't work out well we just try to learn from that yeah audrey's story with the uh, uh the miami first methodist is that and um los angeles uh first methodist right um with mandy those are two stories that are just unbelievable yeah. because what ended up in these large cities is that you know in reality the methodist church has had a piece of property for so long that the value just was such that you know in, in la right. they can do a parking lot make money and and make church mobile they just set right. it up every week and take it down the community has a parking lot and like you just said with mixed housing in miami it's just it's just unbelievable um, it is yeah mandy's a great minister as well so yeah, yeah so so shifting then i mean that's a great segue into uh, you know kind of the more local setting because the vast majority of your vocational career you were in the local church Right. What What would you say are some of the biggest lessons that you learned while you were serving in the local church? You know, I think uh, one is just the importance of shared leadership. I think uh, and shared vision that uh, you know, obviously, you're doing you know, really important and great ministry where you are in Savannah, but it can never be one person. 
Uh, and when it's just one person who has has a vision, they become a lightning rod, they get sabotaged. And so how we can develop a small group of people who share the vision and who share the leadership. And so I would say just look for look for the gifted, motivated people who have gifts and abilities that sometimes we don't have or that I don't have. And I would say a lot of what's happened in Florida has been due to some really extraordinary leaders uh, who serve in different ways. And so part of that drilling down a little more is just uh, coming to coming to learn what your gifts are and to to uh, sort of rejoice in your own gifts and not try to copy or mimic other people. You know, early on in the ministry, everyone was wanting to mimic, you know, this particular megachurch pastor or that one. But over time, a person just that they discover this is my this is my voice you know this is my calling does that make sense oh absolutely and, and and then to try to see who is it around you who can do the things maybe that that we're not so gifted at so those are uh and and that way the ministry's sustainable it can be scaled up when it's when a when the pastor is really the funnel that everything flows through I'm convinced that's why many of our churches are the size they are. It's because that's all that we can do. Uh, and so, you know, I would say that's a part of it. Another part of it is the more on the more personal side is just understanding who who you are as a person and and that you are you know you are more than your role as a pastor. That you know trying to needing to. You know, Ronald Heifetz talks about distinguishing between the self and the role. And uh, and then having friends, investing in friendships, not letting friendships kind of suffer along the way, and trying to find some kind of pace where, you know, you have a Sabbath. And like, like this time of year in the summer for many pastors, uh, a friend of mine says, you know, it's sort of like uh, when there's a wave, you ride the wave. But when there's not a wave, you don't go looking for a wave. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I found the summer to be a great time to read, a great time to reflect, a great time to catch up on things uh, and to pray more and to walk more and just to, uh, you know, just to do those kinds of things and kind of get ready for uh, for the next season. Yeah. That's really good. Um, I, one question I, I wanted to ask you, and I like to ask every seasoned pastor this question. If you had one, only one, piece of advice to give a pastor on their very first day of ministry, what would that one piece of advice be? Well, it would be uh, not to spend so too much time getting getting in the office, but it really would be to try to call three or four people to go visit three or four people uh, and to write uh, letters to three or four people and to meet three or four people in the community because what that does is that sort of gets out there on the grapevine that we have a pastor who who cares about us. You know, we have a pastor who is going to love our community and, and 
and and and get to know us as people. And there's time later to you know get everything in the office uh, perfect. Uh, but uh, I, and then and I learned this from Ken Callahan, who taught for a long time at Emory, and he he's pretty amazing. And he's you know his theory was that people experience us first as a shepherd. Uh, and then as a preacher and uh, because they know us and because we know them we can we're more on their wavelength we can we we can hear what their what their struggles are uh, we can tell their stories they can hear their stories in our sermons and then when people experience us as, as a shepherd and a preacher they experience us as a leader uh, you know and someone said you know the power of uh, of Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech was that he had heard uh, he had heard people say that you know it was the dream of the people he knew uh, and uh, a young student in Albany Georgia who who used that as a refrain in her prayer one time when he was there and so I would say the first day just to uh, just to get to do that and and then I was, of course, also I would try to do something with the family, but just not to be so concerned with mechanics and logistics, but try to spend more time on the relational side. That's really good. So um, we want to thank you for your time. But before thank you, you go, yeah. we uh, you've made it to our lightning round. And so uh, this, you're our very first interviewer to do this. And so lightning round works this way. I have three questions for you. Right. Your answer can be no longer than 15 seconds on any right. of the three questions. Good. Are Good. you ready? I'm ready. All right. Yeah. Question one, mountains or beach? Uh, mountains. Okay. Question two, if you had to do something with your life other than being a pastor, what would it be? Either a major league baseball scout or a country music songwriter <laughs> those are really good answers all right finally number three uh building off of that what are your brief thoughts on the proposed computerized strike zone in major league baseball and getting rid of human umpires <laughs> i do like the human factor i like umpires it just adds a little bit to the drama of the game so. wonderful good answers bishop carter right. thank you so much for thank, your time it's you, been ben. a delight Hey everyone, we just listened to Bishop Ken Carter. Um, that was such an exciting interview. I was sitting there the whole time scribbling notes and wow, it, like he had just so many good things to say. Yeah, a lot of great nuggets in there. Um, Molly, for, for you, since you were doing most of the listening there, um, what were a couple of things that really stood out to you that, that were insightful he had to say? Well, first of all, I love the fresh expressions. I don't think I was really aware of that program or knew the extent of it at all. He said there were 300 and one fresh expression churches in the U.S. and that varied from yoga studios, kayaking, tattoo parlors, pubs. I had no idea this existed. So this is something I want to learn more of. Sorry, I'm talking fast. This is exciting. <laughs> Let me take a deep breath. Um, but what he said when he was talking about fresh expressions and what, the commission on the way forward, he talked about status quo is not desirable. Yeah. So no matter what. <laughs> 
one of the interesting things, and I've, I, I, you know, for listeners, I've known Bishop Carter um, uh, personally since just prior to him becoming a bishop. So, you know, relationships change. You don't. He's no longer Ken when he gets elected to the Episcopacy. He's yeah. Bishop Carter. <laughs> um, but, but you hear this even keel, very um, um, intentional tone in his voice. But w- the words that are coming out of his mouth, he's a change agent. Yeah. And and I've I've been drawn to his writings and and just grateful for his friendship. Um, he is always somebody that that not only there's no such thing as too crazy of an idea, but he's probably going to encourage you to at least try it. Yeah, and that's what he was saying. We need new models for the church. Um, this was my favorite thing. He said, "Invest in the people. We have enough buildings." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's powerful for churches because one of the things that we have an overabundance of is property and buildings. And how could we leverage that? that to uh, more for people. That was incredible. I just loved, I'm really interested. I want to look more into Fresh Expressions and I plan on posting um, in our show notes a bunch of the details as well as the books he's mentioned um, because I think people just need to know about what's going on down there. Well, and I, I've uh, studied it a lot and, you know, this is probably an off-air conversation, but we should do an episode <laughs> and I can get us an interview um, to just dive, nosedive right into Fresh yeah. Expressions and, and dedicate a whole episode to that because it's really an exciting thing in the life of the church to the mixed ecology. How can traditional Traditional churches launch church in new ways. Yeah. You know, one of the things that that, that that I harp on here at Trinity is we're the mother church of Methodism in Savannah. Well, that's not a historic fact only. That should be a future goal. Yeah. How can we birth new things in new ways? So, yeah, he touched on that a lot. Absolutely. And I loved um, at the local church level, he talked about sharing leadership and vision. It's never one person. We talk about that a lot here on the podcast and just what we're doing at Trinity. If someone has an idea, let them run with it. Like, yeah. Let them do. It's why said. this podcast exists. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because I pressured you, peer pressured you into this. Yeah, And absolutely. Ben's having more fun now. It, so. Yeah, this this is a ball. <laughs> Anything else from Bishop Carter stand out to you that was really insightful? Yeah, I want to talk about, there was a little nugget in there, you may have missed it, but he talked about having friends. You really need to focus on having friends, not letting friendships suffer, strengthen your friendships, and take time for Sabbath. Um, this is something that I'm building a whole business on now is friendships and relationships. And the fact that he's at the level he's at now, and that's one of his biggest takeaways that everyone should be doing is focus on your friendships and make those connections is he was preaching to the choir over here. Well, and that's why I think it probably would be helpful in the show notes to put a link to your website and get, give list. give people uh, a little glimpse uh, in, into what you're doing to help cultivate Thank friendships. Um, that's just a huge passion of mine. And so, man, there were just some great nuggets from him. I really enjoyed listening to him and I'll put in the show notes all his um, information so that you can read more about him and um, what he's been doing and working on in the programs he's involved with. Yeah, there's a lot of fun. We have more interviews to come. Stay tuned. Uh, we've got a couple more we're lining up, and uh, this is going to be a, a really exciting and fun uh, new addition to the Faith Revisited podcast. Yes, so please review us on iTunes, um, Apple Podcasts. We're also available on the Google Play Music Store and Spotify. Until next time. Have a great day. Have a great day.